Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here, as always, with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. Happy Friday. Happy, Happy May. Friday t- Happy May. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It is hard to believe. It, it is for real. <laughs> Tuesday's episode, if you guys caught it, was all about <laughs> the chaos that is May. So we are in it. But we are here today to bring you our monthly voices interview episode. We do these on the first Friday of the month and bring you an interview with an expert or somebody who's got something to say that we can't, we can't do by ourselves. Right? right. So this is kind of fun because uh, last week in episode 205, Megan, you got real about your family finances and your budgeting. I got real, real. You yeah. did. You did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked just from our very, like, we're not experts, we're real people perspective about budgeting and family finances. But what we thought would be cool was to be to pair that with um, a conversation with an expert. And so that is what we have today. I have Natalie Taylor, and I chatted with her. She is a certified financial planner um, and she works with families. She's also a mom of two little boys. So she's right in the stage of life of really, honestly, most of our listeners. Um, And she has been a financial planner for 15 years, but that's looked different for her. She's worked for big firms. She's worked part-time. She's worked full-time. So we also had a really interesting conversation about her own working mom life and finding that balance, which is so tied to what she does with her clients because it's all based around your kind of values, your goals, and how yeah. the economics fit into that. So. And I think there's this misconception that you have to have a lot of extra money to yes. <laughs> like just lying around to have a reason to talk to a financial planner, but that's not the case. That so. is not the case. And she that's kind of where we start is we start by dispelling a lot of myths about what a financial planner does and and what types of people out there say that they're a financial advisor, but really aren't in the comprehensive way that um, Natalie... Are they selling something? They they might be. Okay. (laughs) They might be. Or they might be compensated through sales in a way that you just might want to ask questions. She gives such practical, actionable advice on whether you are already working with a planner or whether it's not in the cards for you right now. That's okay. You'll still come away from this interview with very specific budgeting tips, um, saving and looking at your debt, looking at saving for college. I was just so impressed with um, how actionable what we talk about are. So if this feels like yeah. a topic that's intimidating to you, don't be intimidated. It's really very, We're very. Here. You guys are here to make it less intimidating. So yeah, and she that. she is great. So, um, but Megan, before we get into my conversation, let's talk about our sponsors. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about chat books again today. You guys have probably heard us rave about chat books on the show before because they make it so simple and easy to create photo books that you can use as gifts or keepsakes or something to have on your coffee table, you know. So here's how it works. Chatbooks pulls photos from your computer or social media account or phone to make these beautiful books. You can even set it up to automatically create books every so often. So you don't even have to like do the additional work of printing pictures or assembling the albums. And what I really like about this is Chatbooks just pulls one photo per page. So it's this really clean look, but it also means you don't have to have a ton of photos to get a 30. Like if you have 30 great photos, you've got a book, right? You don't have to have a lot to work with and you don't have to do any design or layout or shifting pictures around or making sure they're like, you know, they're all squares. You don't have to worry about how they're um, oriented or any of that stuff. It just simplifies it. It takes the stress out of something that should be fun. And then you have this great physical copy of your digital photo collection or maybe your social media account without a lot of extra work for you. So guys, we have an awesome gift from us to you. And that is a 30 page soft cover photo book up to a $10 value, totally free. So their basic book, which is 30 pages, starts at $10. So that's what you're going to get for free. If you decide to add on and make it bigger, there might be shipping or upgrade costs. But no matter what, no matter what size book you're going to make, you're going to get $10 off your total when you use our code, the mom hour at chatbooks.com or using their app. So again, go to chatbooks.com or download their app. And then when you use the code, the mom hour, $10 is going to come off your total. Our gift to you. Enjoy. Woohoo! I love it. All right. We're also welcoming back Epic Books for Kids. Epic is a digital library of more than 35,000 high quality popular children's books, plus videos, quizzes, and more, all for kids ages 12 and under. They've got classics and award winners and popular series that kids love. Everything from A Wrinkle in Time to Pete the Cat, 
fancy Nancy. Your kids are going to recognize these characters in these series and these books. Um, parents, you sign up and download Epic onto a tablet or device, and then you can set up a profile for each kid, which is great because kids are at different reading levels and interest levels. And Epic is smart. It'll curate lists just for them and keep track of where they left off in their favorite book or what they were watching when they last left Epic. So it's great. It turns out schools love Epic too. Teachers can communicate book lists from school to home. Kids can even log their reading time through the app or work on a research project using Epic's nonfiction collection. And there's lots of other cool ways to kind of connect the learning at school with reading at home. And I think that's so great, especially with summer coming up. Yes. So we have a great deal for you guys. Epic is normally $7.99, which is a great deal because remember, you're going to get a kind of a different profile for each kid in your family all for that price. And we're going to get you two months free so you can try it out. So go to getepic.com and use the code MOMHOUR to get two months totally free. Again, it's getepic.com and the promo code is MOMHOUR. Okay, so you guys going to get to this awesome interview? Let's get to it. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I am so excited about this, and I know that our listeners are too. Um, hey, before we get going, you and I have something in common, and that is my hometown of Santa Barbara. Why don't you tell everybody um, just a little bit about your family and where you live, because you're not just a financial planner. You are a mom of young kids. <laughs> so tell us about that. Yeah, I am a mom of two little boys, a four-year-old Wally and a six-year-old Charlie. Um, we moved to Santa Barbara along with my husband, Ryan, who works at Sonos here in town. Um, from San Diego. We were in San Diego for the 13 years before that. Okay. We've been up here six years. Nice. Well, then we've sort of swapped because I'm down in Orange County, although oh, by well, way I... of Chicago and Arizona. So <laughs> I, I left for a long time, but now I'm further south than you are. And our listeners know Santa Barbara's my favorite place in the universe. And so I'm so glad you guys get to live there. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I think we also share a love for Jenny Schatzel. We do, although I've only made it through one class. So Jenny was a guest <laughs> on this show. She was a guest on this show. Listeners, you would remember her from an interview about fitness and body confidence back in October. Um, and Natalie, are you a regular Schatzel? I'm like, a regular. I'm a like four to five times a weeker. So you must be in class with my parents. That's so funny. Like my I, parents are regulars. Well, if they're 645ers, then like they're my buddies. I think they're 645. Hmm. Okay. Well, we're already off topic. We'll have to talk about that <laughs> offline. Yes. I'm yeah. sure you've been in class. That's so funny. It's such a small world. Okay. We are here to talk about financial planning. Um, and I want to start really generally because I think... Um, especially among the stage of life that we are all in, growing our families and kids getting older, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to, quote, have a financial planner. I think that can mean everything to some people uh, from having a good CPA to having somebody giving you stock tips to, I think, what you and I want to talk about, which is actually comprehensive financial planning. Do you want to mm -hmm. just give us a baseline definition of, of the type of financial planning we're going to talk about today? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good question. And it is so confusing. And it's understandably confusing because there's a lot of people out there. There's maybe 350,000 or so people who say that there's some sort of financial advisor, financial mm -hmm. planner, and have some sort of letters after their name, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people do different things. Mm -hmm. um, so somebody who says they're a financial advisor if they work for an insurance company, mm -hmm. they may do some level of some financial planning, but they are often making their money on selling insurance to you. And so I think arrangements like that can often feel to, you know, regular people like us, like, okay, I thought I was coming for this and now it feels like I was going for that. And I didn't really want insurance. I was really just looking for a financial advisor that would help me through, you know, budgeting and saving for retirement. So I think it's a confusing thing because people do different things under the same title, financial right. advisor, financial planner. Um, a CPA is much more in the tax realm. Mm -hmm. So that's somebody who is um, legally allowed to pre prepare your taxes for you. They may give you recommendations like, hey, if you put money in an IRA, that would add a deduction, mm -hmm. um, which is really helpful information. But they're not looking at the whole picture of how much do you need to be saving for retirement? And how do you balance that with the fact that you want to send your kids to college and you also have a mortgage and you also have some credit card debt that you're still paying off? They're not really looking at all the pieces mm -hmm. of the puzzle. They're really focused in on that, that tax piece. So they're a really valuable person for you to have, but they're not a financial planner. It's so, um, it's so interesting that um, you're right, that people even can use the title, the job title financial advisor tends to go with, I mean, from my observation, like you said, um, insurance brokers, sometimes, sometimes people in banking. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
And yet the the offerings are so different. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but that is, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say it's intentionally misleading, but it, it could be really um, confusing, like you say. It is really confusing. And there's an alphabet soup of like <laughs> designations that people could have, and it's really hard to know what they're all for. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I can't say that it's intentionally misleading, but it is misleading. It's really hard for people to understand who does what and what they need. So, so should we talk about those letters for a second? Um, I, I am married to a CFP, so I, I have a certified financial planner in my home and he works with uh, the chartered financial analysts as well. You, why don't you break uh-huh. down a few of those alphabet soups? And um, if you want to just give us your thoughts on the ones to look for or even watch out for, if you, if you think that's important. Totally. Yeah, I mean, we'll start with kind of the um, the one that I would imagine that listeners would need is somebody who is a CFP, which is what your husband is. Mm-hmm. It's what I am. And that means certified financial planner. There's about 70,000, I think, of us in the U.S. And certified financial planner means that they've gone through extensive coursework and taken a major like two-day exam um, to prove that they know enough about everything from... Um, taxes to estate planning to investing to saving for retirement to college planning to budgeting to net worth statements all of the things um they are one of the broadest um designations and so they're going to be able to help you in a multitude of ways including insurance they also mm-hmm. know about all the kinds of insurance um so if you're looking for somebody looking for somebody who's a CFP is a great place to start mm-hmm. Um, there's also the, one of the ones that you mentioned is CFA, a chartered financial analyst. That's somebody who really specializes in investments. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, the average person like doesn't need to work directly with a CFA. Right. Um, they, they would much more, um, get much more out of working with a CFP. So I don't want to give too many yeah. acronyms <laughs> because I feel like it'll get really crazy yeah. and confusing quickly. But I think that looking for a CFP is a great place to start. And then I think the level underneath that is to look for somebody that maybe is part of what's called an RIA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's is, what my husband's firm is, an RIA. So I'm familiar with that. But tell our listeners. Yeah, so an RIA, um, I'm like annoyed just having to say all of these acronyms, <laughs> but it's a registered investment advisor. And basically what that means is that it's somebody who can advise you on not only financial planning, but they can help with investments as well if that's something that you need. And they're generally going to have a fiduciary standard when they work with a client. And what that means is that they have to do what's right for you. They have to do not only what's like acceptable, but what the best thing is for you as the client and not just something that's like, sure, Sarah needs a annuity. Yeah. 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 And I'll make a commission and she'll be fine. Like that, that is not a standard that I find acceptable. Right. Um, So a fiduciary would have to say, you know what, Sarah could have five or 10 different things, but the thing that's truly best for her, regardless of what I get compensated or anything, like the thing that's best for Sarah and her family based on her goals and her values is, you know, not to buy anything at all and just to work on her budget um, or to put $500 into a 529 plan that she opens on her own because that's the most cost effective way for her to do it. It's somebody that has to commit to doing the right thing for you and not get clouded by the right thing for them. And, so it, and it's that oversight deal. is is comes from like uh, like you said, like an external body of you you may you take that oath or pledge and you are held to those standards um, exactly. as an RA. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to ask about that too. Um, so okay, so we won't spend too much time on acronyms, but I think that's really helpful. Looking for a CFP and then understanding what a registered investment advisor does and and what that means from an ethics standpoint. Yeah. Um, let, let's break down some of I think the myths and maybe even the fears that um, our listeners might have about seeing a financial planner. I mean, the the fear number one is is this person trying to sell me something or is this person the right person. So I, hopefully we've kind of addressed that a little bit. But I think some other common ones that come up, um, a two that come up for me is, is this person might tell me how to spend my money. And I don't know if I want to spend less on Starbucks. Maybe I like going to Starbucks every day, mm-hmm. or maybe like maybe that really indulgent vacation we took, I don't, I don't want to feel bad about my choices. So that's one. I'll, I'll say the other one and then you can kind of pick. The other is, and I totally relate to this. I'm, and I'm married to a CFP is like, 
I don't understand stocks and bonds and mutual funds and interest rates and 529s. And I don't want to feel stupid in somebody's mm-hmm. office. Like I, I'm a college educated person. I make good money, but I feel embarrassed that I can't even, I don't even know how to have this conversation because I don't understand the terms and I don't want to feel dumb. So those I think are two, two pretty common hangups. Is that something you see with your clients or something you can kind of help address for our listeners? Totally. Yeah. So um, I think on the first one, you know, is this person doing this for me or for themselves? Um, I would say as long as you're working with a CFP and, and I would ask like anybody that you meet with say, do you work with your clients um, as, as a fiduciary? Like, are you required to do the right thing for me? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really legit question to ask. That. They, they will not be offended and they need to, <laughs> they mm-hmm. legally need to answer it correctly. So, and they may say, you know, no, in some of my business dealings, I actually don't work as a fiduciary. Um, they have to tell you that. So I think just asking those questions, are you a CFP and are you a fiduciary in all of the ways that we work together? Those are two really good questions to start with so that you can at least have some level of like comfort that they're going to be doing the right thing for you and not just be trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. Um, a third question that I would add to that, and then we can move to the others yeah. is, um, how do you get paid? Yeah. Um, I think this is a really important question to ask and it's not in bad taste. Like Mm -hmm. we are used to being asked that question. And I love when clients or potential clients ask me that because you wouldn't like, if somebody gave you a new patio set, you wouldn't just sit there and wonder like, Hmm, I wonder how I'm going to pay for this. Like there would be a price to it and you would know what you were getting. Like, this is how things work. So I would ask like, how do you get paid? And again, they're legally required to tell you how they get paid. Um, and they may offer, like, they may charge a financial planning fee for giving you advice. And although those fees can be a little bit unpleasant to pay because they're usually over a thousand dollars, um, it's also a really straightforward relationship. Right. So that you know that like, you know, the CFP that is working for me is giving me advice based on what's right for me. They're not in it for a product sale. They're not trying to sell me something to make their money back for the time they've spent with me. Like, I'm paying them for their time and they're investing time in me. Yep. And that's what our relationship is. So it's a very transparent way mm-hmm. to work with someone. Yeah, I love that. And then the other question, um, remind me of the other question. Oh, yeah. So, so just a couple of hangups. One being um, somebody's going to judge me about how I spend my money. And two oh, yes. being I don't understand, I don't understand economics and the stock market and mutual funds. And I don't want to feel dumb. Those are kind of the two other common hangups, I think. So yeah, whichever one jumps out at you or both. Yeah. So with the, um, don't want to feel guilty. There are all types of people as financial planners and financial advisors, and some may have more of like an approach of making you feel a little bit less than awesome about some (laughs) of the spending decisions that you make. And you can usually tell that in a first meeting with Mm a, with a potential, professional that you want to work with. Um, you can tell if they're going to be judgy, if they're going to come off as like guilting you um, about stuff, or if they really care about like um, taking the approach of my job is to help you live the life that you want to live and mm-hmm. make sure that you're doing the right things with your money, both now and later so that you can do that. You can kind of pick up on that vibe. And mm-hmm. just, if you have like a, a bad experience with one CFP, um, I would say try another one and maybe even try a third because they're all people and they mm-hmm. all have their own ways of dealing with, with their clients. Yeah. And there are enough incredible CFPs out there that really are not judgmental and they just want to help. Yeah. Um, a lot of people thankfully go into this profession. Um, just like I did, like I was looking at doing nonprofit work and then it turned out that being a CFP and I'm also a behavioral financial advisor, like it was a way for me to serve people like Mm -hmm. that. That is my mission is to help as many people as possible. And there's enough of us do-gooders out Mm -hmm. there that are CFPs that you can find somebody who really feels good to work with. Um, I love that. And then the thing about not feeling like you know what you should know, you know, I would say there are some financial advisors and financial planners out there that feel like they need to earn their fee and the way that they earn their fee is to be smarter than you. Mm-hmm. And they kind of make you feel it and it sucks, regardless yeah. of how much you know. Yeah. Um, and again, that's just a vibe and like a, an approach that they take, but not everybody is like that. Yeah. Um, and I will also say that like, so many, like I've worked with the gamut of clients. I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years and I've worked with over a thousand families individually and then tens of thousands more through some of the other work that I've done on a corporate level. And 
very smart professional people don't know the basics yeah. about yeah. IRAs or how do you save for retirement yeah. or when does retirement happen or you know what are all these acronyms and what does all of this mean? And I have found that um, women women are are sometimes better at asking questions mm-hmm. um, and learning, but they sometimes are hesitant to do it because mm-hmm. they don't want to sound dumb. Mm-hmm. And um, I've sometimes had clients, even men, like ask to meet with me individually because they don't want to look dumb in front of their wife. Interesting. And so they'll ask me the same questions that a woman would ask as well. Um, but they don't want to look dumb in front of somebody. So I I think it's a really, really common feeling of like, I don't want to look dumb. And if they're talking over my head, like I I want to raise my hand and be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I feel weird doing it. A good CFP is happy to walk through anything you need to know. And really they should, like it's your money and you need to feel ownership and you need to feel empowerment over the decisions that you're making. And they're ultimately your decisions. So they're there to help you make great decisions. Um, but it's not their decision to make. Right. So um, I would just encourage you that like so many people lack that basic knowledge because it's not part of the curriculum yeah. of what we learn yeah. and you're not alone. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, and it does sound like when you find the right person, just like I'm thinking when you find the right, you know, health coach or therapist or personal trainer or any any of these experts that we seek out to support us with our goals, you kind of know they, should ma- they shouldn't make you feel dumb. <laughs> they should honor your goals and your values. And you should kind of, you kind of will know when you have that person and, and when you don't. And I love um, your advice to try again. Um, I think the financial industry in particular has this thing where our BS meters are up high, like our, so we, um, we feel like we need to have extra defenses around us so that we don't get, you know, scammed or cheated or whatever. And I think it's so helpful to hear about how many really, truly altruistic and, you know, great CFPs there are out there who's, who don't have ulterior motives. I think that's important to hear because I think with the news and the media, you know, the the financial industry <laughs> doesn't have the reputation for being so honest. And so I think I, I think you're right. I think those people are out there um, and it may require a little bit of trust and a little bit of trying to find the right person. So I really love that. Totally. Um, I, I would say there's also like validity in having your guard up. Yeah. Um, because it is an industry that like product sales mean commission in a lot of cases yeah. or fees in a lot of cases. So I think that people are wise to have their guard up and to wonder like, how is this person getting paid? And are they really in it for what's right for me? And are they a fiduciary? And are they educated? Like, do they have the experience they need to be able to help someone like me? And am I going to be an A client for them? Or am I going to be like a small fish in their big pond? You know, these are all really valid concerns, but I think it's worth the time and effort to find somebody who's great because there are a lot of really great um, CFPs out there. I love that. Well, you alluded to your history a little bit and how you came to this this role. Let's talk about that briefly. Um, just how you arrived um, at what you're doing now. And you also are a mom of two little kids. I believe you told me that you quit a job to kind of blow things up and here you are. <laughs> so why don't you tell that story? I did. Yeah. So I've been doing, um, I've been a financial planner for 15 years. It was my first real job. Um, after being a waitress at Island's Restaurant. Um, This is my first real job. Um, And I fell in love with it, but I was at first in one of those sort of more salesy Mm -hmm. um, offices. I lasted four and a half months and I was like, this is not, this is not how I want to do business. I want to find somebody who will mentor me, who will care about people and teach me about how to help people through this profession. And I did. And I was, um, I've so enjoyed my career. Um, when I became a mom almost seven years ago, it was really tough for me identity wise because I had to leave the planning practice that I had been a part of for so many years, partially because I became a mom and partially because we moved to Santa Barbara mm-hmm. and my practice was in San Diego. And um, it was it was difficult identity wise, but I worked through that over months and maybe a couple of years. And I found an incredible opportunity to work for a financial planning startup called LearnVest. And so I worked part-time for them for three and a half years. And that was like magic. Mm -hmm. Like my work was so meaningful and we were changing things in my industry. And it was just like, and it was part-time. So Mm -hmm. I still felt like I was getting to be the mom that I wanted to be. And then I was offered like a director level role. 
And um, we had since been acquired by Northwestern Mutual. So being a director at a Fortune 50 company was Mm -hmm. a really big opportunity. And in order to do it, I had to go full time. Mm -hmm. So I made that choice to go full time. And for a little while, it was okay. Um, But ultimately what happened, um, my husband started traveling almost every week for work as well. And even though I was working full time as a director for a Fortune 50 company, I'm still the anchor parent. Like sure. I'm still the one. <laughs> and I feel like most times as moms, we are regardless yeah, of our, whose career is like. We have many, like, many full time working moms in our audience and they're all nodding along right now. Yes, so, and that's totally. not to throw any dads under the bus at all. It just no. somehow it is the way things fall. I have a super awesome husband. Like he's a great partner. It's just like his hamster wheel like, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't run the way that mine does. Like I think that's, a gift and a curse yes. that many of us women yes. have. Yes. And so he's not thinking about like, oh, if we go on a date, we have to find a sitter and the sitter is doing that, you know, like yes. he's, those just things, they're not on his radar. Um, so, and just having to ask is like yep. a task. Anyway, yep. so I know y'all are with me. Yep. Um, yep. So I, I, I really burned myself out um, in this two year period that I was working full time. I wasn't the mom I wanted to be. I wasn't the wife I wanted to be. I just felt like I was barely keeping my head above water. And I started to have a ton of health issues from it. My husband actually was super stressed out too. He had a heart attack scare. Like, oh my goodness. Stuff just kind of went haywire. And for us in the way that we live our lives and the way that I advise clients, like values, you've mentioned values a couple of times, Sarah, and I Mm -hmm. love that you have, because those are really, really important. Um, Not only to the financial decisions we make, but to the like life decisions that we make. And for my husband and I, we have six core values and um, they're family, health, community, generosity, meaningful work and adventure. Um, I love and that. that's how that's what we use to drive our decisions. And this new opportunity was really this work opportunity was really meaningful. And it was an adventure to go get to do this thing and work on this project. Um, but as it turned out, once we got a couple years into it, we found ourselves one for six for mm-hmm. those core values that were important to us. Our family life was not great. We were sending the signal to the rest of our extended family that we were too busy for them because honestly we were. Mm-hmm. Um, we had no community because we were super flakes because my husband <laughs> was traveling all the time and I was exhausted. Um, I was not being the kind of mom that I wanted to be. We were both suffering health-wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, there was no room for adventure. We yeah. had saved for years to go on a 10-year anniversary trip. The, the time came, we had the money in an account. I was too exhausted to mm-hmm. even think about where to go. Mm-hmm. And so honestly my best friend planned the trip for me because I was like, I don't have capacity for this. Mm -hmm. So we just found ourselves miserable and we were making a lot of money at that time, but we were miserable. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I was going to quit my job. My husband changed roles so that he would travel less. And we just like reoriented our whole life Mm -hmm. around these values. And finally we're at this place where we're super content. Again, we have a lot less money than we did, but we feel like super content. And it was just because we got out of whack with our values. So I love that. And now your practice is, do you see individual clients? And I know you do speaking and you've got a great online presence. What is, how does the work and mom cocktail, as I sometimes call it, look for you right now? (laughs) Yeah. Some drinks are stronger than others. Exactly. Um. (laughs) Some taste just right. Some, you know, yeah. Leave you wanting more of one or the other. Totally. Yes. So, um, uh, so right now, um, it's it's kind of evolving, but my general mission is what it always has been, but I've been super focused on it, which is how can I most efficiently and effectively help as many people as possible in a tangible way with the limited hours that I'm willing to commit to mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm, I um, that. And so that has presented, like, if opportunities, um, <clears throat> if opportunities pass that filter, then I say yes. And mm-hmm. if they don't pass that filter, then I say no. Um, I was offered a really awesome full-time role yesterday and I was like, nope, I'm super not working full-time. So no thanks. If you need somebody like to fill in X amount of hours, I have that to give, but I have no more than that to give. So, um, so yeah, so I've been speaking, um, I'm speaking at a conference this summer with Rachel Hollis and I'm going to be talking to 19,000 people, which will be the biggest audience I've ever done, which will be really fun. See, there's adventure for you and meaningful work in less hours. Okay, so we have to drill drill down into this values thing before we take our our advertising break, because you mentioned it a couple of times. And when I hear you talk about your family's six core values, it just makes these decisions like, not that they're easy decisions, but 
they become simpler. And so yes. I would love for you to talk about that exercise that you walk through with financial planning clients and and how I've seen your values workbook. Um, is that something that our listeners or something similar that our listeners could go check out after they listen to this? Or you'll, you, I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll tell us, but I'd love you to talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I did just create a values toolkit um, that walks through like what are core values, how do you use them, why do they matter, um, how to figure out your own, um, like an exercise to figure out what yours are, and then how to use them once you know what they are. So um, you can either go to my website, natalieandtaylor.com, or I'm sure we could put a link in yeah, the show notes. Yeah, we can notes. look in the, a link in the show notes. Absolutely. I awesome. didn't want to promise we'd give it away if it was proprietary. So yeah, I didn't mean no, to no put worries. you on the spot. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, honestly, the more people that see like the work is better. Yeah. So I, I would love to share it. Like that's, yeah, that okay. would be awesome. So talk, talk about that, like maybe how it would work if people came even to see you or if you sat down with a family, why are those values important and what do they have to do with, you know, things like saving money for college or whatever? Yeah, great question. So um, knowing your core values is, is helpful because it is like an additional filter for all of the, the decisions you're making. So it can be big things like career decisions, like the ones that I made and my husband made. Um, it can be small things like budgeting. So for example, community is one of our values and it's a really common value. Um, I've seen a lot of people say, okay, we need to reduce our budget and dining out always feels like one of those, like Starbucks and dining out, <laughs> I feel like are the like low hanging fruit a lot guys. of the time. Yeah. yeah. And so people cut out their dining out budget and then they find themselves completely miserable. And, you know, not only is it miserable to have to have to cook and feel like you yeah. can't ever go out, but a lot of people experience community by going out. Mm. They'll have drinks with friends for happy hours, maybe pre-kids. I don't, mm -hmm. I haven't been to a happy hour in a lot of years, <laughs> but, um, but they'll experience community through going out or they'll experience like, like relationship by having a date night, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, and it's important to their, whatever relationship they're in. And then they say, okay, no more dining out. And then they're miserable. Mm -hmm. So if you know what your value is, then you can find a more cost-effective way to honor that value in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, which will be something that you can stick with. Mm -hmm. So maybe you do reduce your dining out budget and instead you host like Sunday night potlucks at your house and mm -hmm. everybody brings something and it's way more cost effective. Um, but you still get to honor that community thing. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's what my husband and I do. We invite one family over um, every Sunday night just to like share dinner with us and we keep it really easy, but it's a way that we can honor that community thing on a smaller that. budget. So I love that. And I'll be up in Santa Barbara in June. So I'll just expect my invite yes, to Sunday night over. dinner. <laughs> That's <kidding>. right. <laughs> no, I really love that. And I think either you, I heard you say this or I saw it in the values toolkit, but that also is helpful for sticking to goals because um, I'm, I, I'm just going to compare it to eating and nutrition. Like if you, if you give yourself this structure that doesn't make sense with your lifestyle, it's so much harder to stick to goals. And I would think that with spending, it's the same way that we're able to stick with spending goals so much easier if they align with our values and our, and our, you know, how we like to live our life. So it's, exactly. you're, you're not only happier, you're actually able to achieve the long-term stuff because it has staying power. You're not going to, you know, fizz out because it, you know, you're miserable, like you said. Exactly. It's like every yes has a no, like mm -hmm. we're, we're in a stage of life, a season of life where with our time and our money, like Anything that we commit to, whether financially or with our time, we're going to be trading off something else. Yeah. Like if I'm working more, I'm less with my kids. If I'm more with my kids, I'm making less money. Or mm -hmm. if I choose to go out, you know, I mean, there, there's so many trade-offs and having your values and then also your goals. Um, but having your values um, really clear gives you a really good reason for the yeses, mm -hmm. which gives you really real um, acceptance of the noes. Yeah, that is so well put. Okay, well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to hear your thoughts on Megan and my episode that we did last week, because we let you listen to it ahead of time. So we can talk about that episode where Megan talked about kind of her budget lately. Um, and then we're also going to get into some listener questions and some specifics that I know people are wondering about some saving for college versus paying down debt and all those kind of burning questions people have. So we will be right back, guys. Oh, I'm loving this so far. It like perfectly dovetails with our conversation last week, but um, gives me a lot more information to work with. So yeah. I'm loving it. And you are going to love the second half because we get really into the nuts and bolts. 
But first, Mother's Day is just around the corner, guys, and every year it sneaks up on me. So it's May 12th, which is right around the corner. And I really, yeah, it's coming. (laughs) I know. I really struggle to find gifts, especially if you're shipping across the country, which is why I'm super excited about our sponsor, Skylight. Skylight is a digital photo frame that you can email photos to anytime from anywhere. It sets up in under 60 seconds. You plug it in, connect to Wi-Fi, and just enjoy And if you don't love it, you'll get a full refund. They have 100% satisfaction guaranteed. So sending photos to Skylight is really easy. And this is where having spread apart family all over the country comes in. Anyone can email photos to Skylight and they'll show up in seconds in this beautiful black frame with a 10 inch touch screen. So if you get one for grandma, she can swipe through the photos with her finger and even tap to thank the person who sent the photo. And you can be sending these throughout the year. So it's always updating. I was thinking how cool this could be for my grandma who lives in assisted living and loves to show off pictures to all her friends. Like how awesome would it be if different photos of different great grandkids and grandkids were showing up on her skylight frame throughout the year and she didn't even have to do anything. That would be, I just love that. I just love that mental image of her friends looking at the photos. I know popping in (laughs) double tapping the heart to like, exactly. So guys, as a special mother's day offer, you can get $10 off the purchase of a skylight frame. When you text mom to four, eight, four, eight, four, eight, that's all you got to do. Get $10 off your purchase of a skylight frame. You're going to text mom M O M to four, eight, Four eight four eight. Again, text mom to four eight four eight four eight. Great deal and a cool product. Okay, guys, we have heard from so many of you that have kids who are dealing with attention and learning issues like ADHD and dyslexia and how hard it can be to find support and solid advice out there, especially like in the podcast world. So we're thrilled to be able to tell you guys about a podcast called In It. It's the first podcast from Understood, which is a digital resource and nonprofit that supports families of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. The show is hosted by two moms and Understood team members and also includes the voices of real parents struggling with things like navigating IEP meetings or how to support a kid who hates reading out loud in class and all those other issues that you might be dealing with and also gets input from medical and education experts to provide support and practical advice. So even if your own kids don't have learning and attention issues, chances are you know someone whose child does. And this show is a great way to understand those kids better. It's really well done and compelling. So no matter what, you should check it out. You can subscribe to In It on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yep, we're hearing great things about that show. Thanks to them. All right, Megan, we're going to get back into my conversation with Natalie. Enjoy, guys. Can't wait. Okay, I am back with Natalie Taylor, and um, this is so good, Natalie. I'm getting so much out of this discussion, Um, and I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute because we had the opportunity to kind of dovetail this conversation between you and me with um, episode 205, which our listeners would have heard. It dropped April 23rd, so like a week and a half ago, Mm -hmm. Um, and it it was both Megan and me, but it was really Megan sharing kind of pretty personally what's going on with her and her budget lately, two years post-divorce. And, you know, Megan and I, our whole thing on the show is we're not experts. So we were never going to get on a podcast episode and give really specific budgeting and money-saving tips from an expert position. But what we always can do is kind of share where we are and what has worked for us. So one, I would just love to hear any thoughts you had about that episode. I think most of our listeners probably have heard it by now. Um, And then two, maybe we can pick a couple things to bring you in on as an expert. I know Megan talked about, you know, revising her budget and some credit card debt strategy. So I would love to hear just your general thoughts and maybe then we can pick a couple things to dialogue about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, overall, I love I loved the episode, and I loved um, just Megan's candor. I mean, I think that's something that your listeners um, really love about both of you that you just like you put it out there and you share what you're really going through and what's working and what's not working. Um, and I loved her ability to just like look back and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't look back to judge herself or to feel bad about her decisions. She looked back almost like a detective to just say like, "What happened? And why did it happen that way? And should it keep happening that way? And mm-hmm. what could I change?" based on what's important to me now. Um, and I think that's so, so important, um, not only for yourself, but with, you know, if you've managed finances in a partnership, mm-hmm. that if you guys are going through a similar process of like, okay, where are we now? Mm-hmm. It is really helpful to look back and say, where have we been? But it's really critical that you do it with a detective's hat on and not with like a guilting or shaming or judgment judgment hat on um, for you and for your partner. You know, Mm. you don't want to look back and be like, oh, I can't believe you got us into credit card debt. You know, that's not it's not productive. It's not helpful. Um, But what is helpful is having that knowledge of like, okay, now that I have perspective on it and now that I'm out of that season, I can see what was going on and I can see like 
the logic of how I got to the things that I was doing and whether, and now I can make a choice whether that's the logic that I want to use moving forward or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so love that. I, I loved that about her. Um, just her, her willingness to look back and learn from it. Um, and I also think, especially as moms, like this idea of the changing of seasons, like mm-hmm. I am a planner. This is what I do for a living. Yeah. I like looking forward. I'm an Enneagram one. Oh, like, me too. I, no wonder we like each other. So yeah. Much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that we can, you know, motherhood can really throw you for a loop when you're a planner um, because you can't plan when your kid's going to wake up or when they're going to transition from two naps to one nap mm-hmm. or the fact that like Wednesdays are early day or Thursdays are early day <laughs> and your whole life works except for like minimum day yeah. <laughs> um, or that upper graders for some reason have to get out just a few minutes later than the lower graders yeah. enough that you have this weird amount of time. Like there's so many things that you don't control um, as a mom and, and the seasons change um, pretty quickly, you know, they change really fast when you have new newborns. Um, and then I think the changing slows a little bit, but it still exists. Right. And it's really important to recognize like, okay, what season are we in, um, career wise, mom wise, relationship wise, life wise, and what does success look like, um, in our life in this season? Right. It may not be that you can be on track for, you know, saving for college it may be that you say, you know what, for the first five years of my kid's life, I'm not going to save for college because I've chosen to work minimally or maybe not work at all. Right. Our cash flow is tight. And then when I do go back to work part time, when you know my littlest one is in kindergarten, I will dedicate a portion of my income towards college. And that's our college plan. Right. That's a great college plan. You know, Don't feel guilty that you can't do it at this moment. Right. Figure out what works for you in the season and do the best that you can given the season that you're in. That I mean, that is pretty much like that sums up our general advice on this podcast about anything is like, number one, things change and evolve. So be it's okay that you're not doing everything today. And then what you just said, figure out what works for you in this season. Don't feel guilty that it's not all of the other things that either other people are doing or that you could be doing. And just do the best you can within those parameters. So I could not could not have said it better. I'm glad that came through too in um, in that episode that we did, and I'm glad that we get to kind of bring you in now as the expert. Um, I know you had some thoughts about credit card debt strategy, and you don't feel like you have to address Megan's specific um, issue. But for our listeners in general, like wh- how, that's a common um, thing that couples would come in with is credit card debt. Is there general? tips that you can give or is it something that's really specific again to each family's values and and where they are in that moment? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think there are some um, specific things that can work for the vast majority of people who have credit card debt. I think one of the things is letting go of the guilt and the shame of mm-hmm. having it if you do carry that. Some mm-hmm. people don't. You know, some people are like, you know what, I had a medical bill and I had to put it on a credit card and I did what I could do so that my kid could get a cast. Right. And like, that's what we had to do. So not everybody carries guilt and shame about credit card debt, but a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So if you do, I think it's important to like give yourself a clean slate and say, I can move from today forward. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're paying off credit card debt, I think one of the most critical things that people miss is that you need to stop using your cards while you're paying them off. Mm-hmm. And it's not because you know, credit card debts are the worst, credit card debt is, um, or credit using credit cards is the worst thing in the world. Um, or that, you know, they're the devil, like they can be used well. Um, but you have to get on top of them again. Mm -hmm. And so when you're going through that process of getting on top of them again, I would say, take them out of your wallet and disconnect them from Amazon, Mm -hmm. um, and, and stop using them so that Mm -hmm. you can get clarity on like, okay, I owe this much. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to pay back this much instead of, well, I'm still using them. So I owe 5,000, but then I, you know, I spend another thousand, but then I'm going to make a $1,500 payment. It gets really cloudy, really fast. Um, and the rewards points are not worth the interest that you're paying. Mm -hmm. So I would say, hold off on using the cards while you're paying off the debt. Once you have it paid off completely, then you can go with a clean slate and say, okay, I'm going to use credit card debt strategically to get points, but I'm going to absolutely make sure that I pay off the entire balance every month. You may even want to pay it off every week. 
um, mm-hmm. just to make sure that it doesn't creep up again. Yeah, I love that. Those are really, really specific, concrete tips. How about um, some of the budgeting stuff? I know Megan talked about, we we laughed about, um, and we see this in our business budget, actually, that there's like no normal month. Like there's, you know, <laughs> like you keep waiting for like, and I'm an Enneagram one as well. So I like, I like averages. I like data. I like, like to see trends and, and that's not how life works, right? Like there's no month that is normal that you can truly plan for. So with your client, what are some kind of core budgeting tips that that help uh, just acknowledge that life is unpredictable, and especially in this season, but yet still have kind of a, a budget system that is helpful? Totally. So I'm a big fan of of creating what I call like built-in release valves in your budget so that your budget can like stretch a little bit. It's like the difference between like the jeans with no stretch and the <laughs> jeans with stretch. Um, like, why would you ever wear jeans with no stretch? Um, so, so that's what you need to do in your budget too. And as you become a mom, as you maybe have another person, like another grown up um, partner spending out of the same pot of money, um, if you have a house um, that you own, like all of these things add to the likelihood that you will not have a normal month right. because there's just so much going on. So <clears throat> a couple of ways to do that. One is um, working in, and this is one of my favorite things, but working in a fun account um, into your budget. So a fun account is a separate savings account. It's not meant to get huge over time. It's mm-hmm. meant to build for a little while and then you spend it mm-hmm. and then build for a little while and then you spend it. Um, and what that is, is to say, okay, well, we're going to um, dedicate in our budget $200 a month that goes into the fun account or mm-hmm. whatever that number is for you. It could be $20. It could be $2,000. Um, or maybe it's a portion of every bonus. Okay. You know, on a monthly basis, we're not going to save into our fund account, but every time we get a bonus, we're putting, you know, 50% of it or 10% of it or mm-hmm. whatever your, your number is into the fund account. What that fund account does for you is it says, okay, I've got a little pot of money. It's like an emergency fund for fun stuff. I love it. That like, if emergency go, fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, I like that emergency fun. Yeah. Um, I need to have fun and it's urgent. <laughs> Um, so if in an emergency, you need to have fun, you have money in the fun account to do it. So it, it provides this little release valve so that like, I was not planning on a girl's weekend, but given that my friends are doing it and it's going to be super fun and it's local and it's not going to be that much, but it's definitely more than would fit in the normal budget. I'm going to take a few hundred out of my fun account and I can do it. Mm -hmm. Or, um, it can be something for your kiddos or something for your spouse, but it allows you to have like a little bit of flexibility. Mm -hmm. It takes some forethought to set yourself up for that. So mm-hmm. you have to decide, are we going to save monthly into the fun account or are we going to save, you know, some of windfalls, like extra money that we mm-hmm. get into the fun account? But it's a great little release valve to have. I love um, it, too, because um, it also like we were talking about values, making decisions easier. I feel like this would also make decisions about, say, a girl's weekend. If there was plenty in the fun account, the girl's weekend becomes a no brainer. If you just had a lot of fun and it was low you still may choose to do the girls weekend, but you may choose to, you know, opt out of the really expensive dinner, or you would be faced with taking it from another part of your budget, but you would at least be clear. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't wonder where is this coming from? So I feel like it would allow for those decision-making, you know, moments to be a little bit clearer. Exactly. And it allows you to spend more guilt-free because if you were to go on the girls weekend and you had what you thought was enough in your checking account and you spent money on it, um, and then you realized, oh, shoot, it turned out that was my grocery budget for the last week of the month. And I just spent it and I didn't realize I did. Um, then it creates stress and yeah. then you're at risk for accumulating credit card debt. Yeah. So the fun account allows you to like really enjoy it and know that it's truly extra. I The way that I think about it sometimes is like I will sometimes as a mom, like between work meetings and um travel and picking up kids and all the kids activities like I will sometimes have these odd bits of time mm-hmm. like 12 minutes you know yeah. like I'm sitting in the line waiting to pick them up for 12 minutes or whatever and I wish I could just throw those minutes into a <laughs> like pot and then use them later yeah um but I can't do that because that's not how time works yeah but money actually does work that way yeah. Um, you can throw a little extra into a pot and then use it later when you like really have something good to use mm-hmm. it on I love that I think I cut you off. So um, other other budgeting tips in case I jumped in there. No, no worries. So um, other release valves that are important. One of them is having an emergency fund. 
um, so that if it's like a kid broke his arm and you weren't expecting it, um, which happens in our house all the time, <laughs> um, the emergency fund is a great way to have the money ready so that you can pay for that expense and not blow your budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one I'll say is there's these, I'll call them like non-monthly expenses. Okay. Um, but all of those things that don't happen monthly, but they happen mm-hmm. like holiday gifts and visiting family for certain, ho- you know, certain holidays or occasions, summer travel, mm-hmm. um, auto insurance that mm-hmm. maybe renews semi-annually or annually. Yeah. If you don't, you know, if you have homeowner's insurance yeah. that you pay annually, Pro- that's Our not. property taxes are that way. And property they're, taxes, and they're big. yeah. So having, um, I, I don't want you to have a million accounts, but having an account that's just for those non-monthly expenses, like yes. figure out how much they are every year and then divide that by 12 and yep. save that amount into your non-monthly expense account. It basically makes those non-monthlies into monthly expenses. Yep which you're actually able to make your life more predictable, which rarely happens. We rarely can do yep. this, but we, we do yeah. that in our family. Exactly that. So we have a property taxes one and a holiday one or like Christmas gifts. And then um, in at different phases, we have done that for travel as well. Cause our travel happens in big, we have my in-laws are on the East coast and it happens in big chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we have done exactly that. And I totally agree. I can, I can vouch for the fact that it just, it doesn't feel, I mean, I have to write a really big check twice a year for property taxes. I live in Orange County. <laughs> it's no joke. We moved from Arizona and you're like, oh, yep, that's why people move to Arizona mm-hmm. from Southern California. Um, but because it's been set aside monthly, it doesn't have the sting of the actual dollars on the check. Exactly. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see. Um, I would love to spend a little bit of time on some of these listener questions. And I think some more things about budgeting and decision-making will come out through these questions. So if you're okay with that, I'd love to dive in a little bit to some questions we got from our listeners. Um, So we got several about um, the pros and cons of paying off your mortgage sooner versus later. And then obviously, like you said, every yes, there's a corresponding no. So versus, you know, using that money to do other things, either, you know, save in other ways or whatever it is. Is there, again, it's one of those things I I have to think is so unique to each family, but maybe you have some general thoughts. Yeah, I, I do have some thoughts. It's such a good question. And I love that it's being asked because it's such a responsible thing to do to pay off <laughs> our, your mortgage. Our so. listeners are very responsible. <laughs> I'm, I'm super just impressed that somebody asked that question. I think there was multiple people that were like interested in that question. So Good on you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so paying off your mortgage is a really important goal, um, but it's not one of the first ones to tick off the list. Okay. So I would say make sure that you have an emergency fund. Okay. Um, which should generally be if you're if you're a mom, it should probably be six months of income. Okay. Um, so if it takes five thousand a month to make your your family work, then you should have five thousand times six. Mm-hmm. So thirty thousand dollars in emergency fund. It sounds like a lot. Yeah. But if you own a home and you have little kiddos running around, yeah. like those those bills can be big mm-hmm. and they can be really unexpected. And your emergency fund, just like your fun account um, and your non monthlies, like those are the those are the three things that are going to really protect you from ever falling into credit card debt or going deeper right. into credit. Yeah, card that's debt. so true. Can I ask? I'm going to jump in and ask a question about emergency funds. If somebody doesn't have one at all, mm-hmm. then obviously that number is daunting. Yep. Um, if somebody like, let's say that, you know, they're starting to, their cash flow is starting to be a little bit easier to manage and they're wanting to build an emergency fund. Would that be something you would just put and try and contribute to monthly until it got to that six month mark and just sort of gradually build it up? Are there other strategies to say, no, this is an urgent, you know, this is an emergency, this is an urgent priority. <laughs> so we're going to, you know, table some other things and really prioritize this emergency fund. I'm curious if somebody's overwhelmed by that number, what would be mm-hmm. a first step to starting to build it? A couple things there. So one, um, a first step is to try to get to one month okay. of income. So if you're, you know, if it's 5,000 a month, I'm just using that because it's a round number. Yeah. Um, then try to get to 5,000 and that's a huge accomplishment. Then try to get to two months and then try to get to three months. I would say that like, if you don't have any emergency savings at all, it's probably one of the primary goals you should be working on with any extra dollars that you have. Okay. Um, and credit card debt goes alongside with that just mm-hmm. because credit card debt is so expensive yeah. um, because interest rates are so nutty yeah. um, on credit card debt. So if you're wondering what goals to work for, 
and you do have credit card debt and you don't have an emergency fund, maybe start 50-50 with any okay. of the extra money that you have between those two goals. Okay. Um, once you make some good headway and maybe you're at like two months of, of emergency fund or maybe even after one month of emergency fund, if you have a retirement plan at work, um, I would make sure that you're getting started on that goal as well, just mm-hmm. because it's such a big one. And the earlier you start, the better. Right, right. But those three, credit card debt, emergency fund and retirement, if you're you know, just starting from scratch or um, close to starting from scratch and you have a little bit of extra money, those three are great priorities to put okay. in place. I love how how um, clear and actionable those are. And I didn't mean to hijack the question about paying down a mortgage. So why don't you jump back in there? I just got excited. No, not at all. Um, and that was, I think that was really helpful discussion because it moves forward on the paying off your mortgage question as well. So um, before putting any extra dollars towards your mortgage, I would recommend that you um, pay off all credit card debt because it costs way more than your mortgage interest rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I would make sure that you have your emergency fund in place. And I would make sure that you're saving at a decent clip towards retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, a good rule of thumb is that ultimately between the employer contributions, if you have an employer that contributes and your contributions, you should try to be saving a total of 15% of your income towards retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, don't freak out. That's a big number. And mm-hmm. most people don't save that much. So start with 1% mm-hmm. and then agree to bump it every six months mm-hmm. or every year by 1% or anytime you get a promotion or a raise, bump it a- another percent and you will find yourself at 15% mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. So don't freak out and stick your head in the sand and right. say, I'm not saving for right. retirement. Don't do 15% nothing. is ridiculous. Right. I right. hate you. Um, like just start somewhere. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're maybe at like 10% headed towards 15%, maybe you want to start paying a little bit extra on your mortgage. But the truth is with mortgage rates being so low and the fact that you can deduct the interest on mm-hmm. your mortgage in a lot of cases on your taxes, um, that's not always true, but in some cases mm-hmm. it's true. Um, your retirement money is probably going to grow at a faster clip Mm -hmm. than the amount of your mortgage interest rate. So let's say that your mortgage interest rate is four and a half percent. And I think a reasonable assumption for long-term like retirement money would be 7% a year. Mm -hmm. You can either save four and a half percent or you can make 7% Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. that extra dollar. Mm -hmm. And so making an extra, making 7% makes more sense than saving four and a half. Yeah. So you just want to like try to think about that trade-off and figure out how to most efficiently and effectively use that dollar. Um, That said, if you're like already saving 10 or 15% towards retirement, you're like really on track for that. You're on track for college maybe, and you've got your emergency fund, you've got your credit card um, debt handled, you're completely out of credit card debt. Maybe it does make sense to start making a few extra payments. Right. Um, Right. I think a great goal is to try to have your mortgage paid off by retirement, if not sooner. Okay. That is, I, I think that's a really good, summed it up in a nutshell. Um, awesome. Super helpful. What about, we had a few questions about saving for college. The one that caught my eye um, came from Jesse, and then we did have some others. So we've heard of a 529 plan, but maybe you can quickly explain what that is. Cause I, mm-hmm. again, I don't like to assume everybody knows what the numbers are. Um, but we also had a question about um, saving for our kids in ways that might be more flexible if they choose not to go to college mm-hmm. or if the 529 savings isn't going to be quite enough. Is there something else we could be doing? So that's like kind of like three questions rolled up in one. I'll just let you tackle it. Yeah. So um, starting with um, what is a 529 plan? Um, it's a type of college savings plan. It can actually be used um, just recently. There was a change. So it can actually be used for K through 12 as well. Um, but it's a it's a way to save. And tax wise, it works similarly to the way that a Roth IRA works. Mm-hmm. Um, so the money that you put in it, you don't you don't generally get <clears throat> excuse me. You don't generally get a tax um, benefit from that. However, some states will actually, <clears throat> sorry, allow you to deduct the contribution on your state tax return, okay. which means you pay a little less in state tax okay. if you use a 529 plan. Like California doesn't do that, okay. but other states do. Okay. So hopefully you live somewhere where they, they offer a little tax benefit. Um, you can put a boatload into 529 plans. They don't, they don't generally have a limit mm-hmm. um, to how much you can put in, or they have limits that are ridiculously large, like $250,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a very large amount. So you don't have to worry about maxing out a 529 plan. Like they won't let you put more dollars right. in. They're happy to take your dollars. Okay. Um, 
as the money's growing, you don't have to pay tax on it. And then if it's used for actual, like legit qualified expenses, like college mm-hmm. expenses, um, the money comes out completely tax-free, right. which is really cool. Right. Um, so that's kind of how a 529 plan works. Um, it, there are, um, there are limitations on how, how you can use the money for it to be tax-free and without penalty. Um, all basically all reasonable college expenses are in that bucket. Does that include like, um, living expenses and things like yes, that? Yes. Okay. So, like, um, books and all that stuff. Like, yes. Um, a computer for college, like you can generally get all the things that you would need for college from that 529 plan. And now you can actually cover some, um, primary education and, and secondary education sort of, um, expenses as well. Okay. If you use it for something other than education, though, because that was something that somebody had yeah. asked, like, what if I want to save for my kids to have a house someday? Or start or for a them business. To start a business. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, then a 529 plan is probably not the best place to save. Um, in that case, you might want to open, it depends on how much control you want your kiddo to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's hard to tell when they're four, yeah. like what they're going to be like <laughs> when they're 18. Right now, I'm very concerned, but hopefully <laughs> things smooth out. <laughs> Um, but, uh, if you're, if you want to like legitimately like give the money to your kid, no matter what they're like as an 18 year old or a 21 year old in some States, you can open what's called a UGMA, UGMA or a UTMA account. Okay. It's a uniform transfer to minors act account okay. or a uniform gift to minors act. Account. Okay. Basically it's an account that you open in your kiddo's name and you're taking care of it for them while while they are getting to the age of 18 the age of majority okay but when they're 18 the money's theirs and they have you have no control over it okay so it's risky in that way yeah because they and you can't change the age and say like well could we wait until they're like 30 right um you can't it's the way that the the account is set up that like as soon as they hit the age of majority right which in most states is 18 right then they get access to the money so that is a good option. It's just, I want to be really clear that like, it's not your money, it's right. theirs. Right. And they can do whatever they want when yeah. they hit that age. No, I think that's really super helpful. Um, last quick listener question. Um, and this one, I think probably will have the most cut and dried a- answer. And that is, um, what about saving for retirement when it is not offered through an employer or you're self-employed or whatever? I'm sure this comes up a lot because there's so many different employment arrangements nowadays. Um, is there, do you have a recommendation for that? Yeah. So this one depends on how much it's funny that, um, this one might be the least cut. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Um, it kind of depends on how much money you make and whether you are working for an employer or whether you're working for yourself or you have your own business because you'll have different retirement plans available to you depending on what your situation is. So let's say that you make between you and your partner, let's just keep things really easy. Let's say you're making under a hundred grand a year. Um, and you work for an employer, but they don't offer a 401k plan um, or any sort of retirement plan, it's likely that a Roth IRA is going to be a great place for you to start. Mm-hmm. Um, it's You put money in after tax, but it grows completely tax-free. Mm-hmm. And then when you get it out at retirement, you pay no tax on mm-hmm. it. Um, so, so it's a pretty great starting point. Um, Roth IRAs, I say like if you make under a certain amount of money because there are limitations to like, if you make $300,000 a year, you don't qualify for a Roth IRA. Okay. Okay. So it's just something to know. And you can like Google those like mm-hmm. income limit for Roth IRA 2019. Right. right. And you can find out really easily um, what those limits are. And they're different, whether you're single or, or married. Um, but that is often a good place to start if you qualify. And that is, again, just sort of one, uh, one example of how seeing a comprehensive financial planner is you wouldn't have to Google that. You would be seeing somebody whose job it is to stay up on those limits. And I know the laws change every single year. I mean, like all the time on different yes. things. So that's one of the kind of peace of mind elements, I think, of having a dedicated planner is it's no longer your job to stay on top of all of those ins and outs of exactly. things. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, Natalie, I wish we could kind of talk forever, but um, it is time to wrap up. I'm curious if there's anything, if there was one tangible step or, or a couple different options that people could do after listening to this, if they, if they want to get on top of their family finances or start working with a planner, is there one tangible step that you think um, would be helpful? 
Yeah, um, it's hard to narrow it down to just one, so I might have to give a couple. That's okay. I'll make them quick, I promise. <laughs> um, I would say like getting in touch with what your values are. Um, if you want to use the values exercise that I created, that's a great way to do it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but getting in touch with that and taking that approach into your finances, I find that that really helps couples get on the same page. Mm-hmm. And as individuals, it's really a good guiding light. It's really a good like center stone for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and just taking an honest look at your finances. I think Megan was such a great um, leader in that, an example in that of saying like, here's where I was and these are the decisions I made. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they were the best decisions, but I made them and mm-hmm. here's how they sorted out. Mm-hmm. I think having that like honest um, look at where your finances are and and thinking about where you want them to be. And then honing in on a few key goals. Like I always tell people don't work on more than usually like two or three goals at mm-hmm. a time. I never say work on one at a time just because in, in life, like we, we have yeah. to be able to work on more than one at a time, yeah. but usually anywhere from two to four okay. is the right amount of goals to pick, mm-hmm. to choose, to work on. Because if you pick too many, you're really not going to see progress mm-hmm. anywhere. And if you only pick one, then you're going to probably miss out on some investment returns, et cetera. Yeah. So balancing two to four goals at once. Um, so pick your goals and figure out, okay, what am I going to work on? Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. And if somebody wanted to find a local certified financial planner, I, is there is there a way to do that? Or is this one of those like ask around, talk to your friends and trial and error type of thing? You know, um, asking around is always a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and But you can go on the CFP board website and okay. I believe that they have a directory of all CFPs and you can look okay. in your Okay, we'll link area. to that in the, in the show notes as awesome. well. So I think that's a good place to start. And then there are some organizations like um, XY Planning Network. Okay. Um, so they they serve generally Gen X and Gen Y. Okay. Um, and they're an association of a bunch of um, individual CFP financial okay. planners that have their own little practices. So they're okay. not a big company. Just, they're like right. a, just an like a database kind of or yeah, like an association. Okay. They're generally more digitally savvy. They generally don't have investment minimums. They're generally going to be doing fee only financial planning. Uh-huh. So if that's what you're looking for, that can be a good option. That's really helpful too. Um, Yeah, really helpful. Oh my gosh, this is so great, Natalie. Thank you so much for the generosity with all of your um, thoughts and tips and ideas. So yeah, for, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for our listeners, you guys know we are at themomhour.com. You're just going to look for this interview in our Voices series with Natalie Taylor. And we will link up how to find Natalie online, how to get that values toolkit and other things we mentioned. But while we're here, Natalie, why don't you just say the name of your website again and how to follow you on Instagram and all of that so everybody's got it. Sure. So I'm at um, natalieandtaylor.com. It's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-A-N-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. Very boring spelling, so I know. easy to I'm find. I'm a Sarah Jane Powers, so I like yeah. I feel you on the... I married into a more common last name. My maiden name was a little, like, less less common, but I feel you. <laughs> Likewise. I was an adcock before, okay. which was not great. Yeah. Um, and then um, on Instagram, I'm at natalieandtaylormoney. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much. And um, we just appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. This was super fun.